continue in our series in Acts today. If you've got your Bibles, we'll be in Acts 14 this morning. Um, we've been, over the, last, over the last few months, or, or in the beginning of the year, we were in this series in Acts called Life in the Spirit. We just picked it up about a month ago, um, where we're walking through the book of Acts, and we're looking at the Holy Spirit specifically because he is the main character in the book of Acts. He's the one that's like driving the, the mission of the church, the success of the church. He's the one that's um, changing the world, and he's using normal people to do it. And so uh, I'm excited to look at that this week as we get into Acts 14. Last week we talked about Acts 13, and, the, and Paul and Barnabas, uh, leaders in the church, uh, sent out by the Holy Spirit to, uh, to just go and to make disciples. And so they went first to the island of Cyprus and saw just immediate results, immediate fruit. They walked the entire island, and, and many came to know Christ. And so God answered that call right away, and we're going to pick up the rest of that journey, which is called the first missionary journey. We're going to look at Acts 14. When we're there, we'll see that there's a lot of the same themes that we've been talking about for a while. We see mission. God's mission is at the forefront. We see boldness. We also see pain and suffering in Acts 14. So all the themes that we've already seen in Acts are continuing in this chapter. But it, as I thought about this chapter this week, as I read the, the, the image, the phrase that that came into my mind clearer than anything else is the phrase unstoppable faith. That Paul and Barnabas were men with unstoppable faith. They were Jesus followers who had unstoppable faith. Nothing could get in their way. Uh, nothing could phase them. Um, they pushed through everything with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so the question that I want us to think about today is this. What would it look like if we had unstoppable faith? What would it look like if you and me, if we had together unstoppable faith? What if nothing could shape our faith or our hope in Jesus? What if we could be fully confident in God's calling on our life? If we knew exactly what God was calling us to do. If we knew exactly um, the things that God had for us. Wouldn't that change how we pray? And how we live, how we serve, um, wouldn't that change the way we see our problems? I think it would. Whether or not we believe in Jesus, I think all of humanity, everybody wants to have unstoppable faith in something. We're all looking for something to put our unstoppable faith in. For me, when I was 16, that was my band. I had unstoppable faith in my band, in my pop-punk emo band that I had started with three friends. We were all heart and no talent. Uh, we, we thought we were going to be unstoppable. We thought, I just knew that, that we were going to be rock stars. We were destined for greatness. And we played at, at youth groups. We played in barns. We played in houses. We played at, at local fairs at like noon. And, uh, but the, the main place that we played was this little hole-in-the-wall uh, theater in downtown Portland called the Paris Theater. It's where all the local grungy little bands got their start. And what we realized playing there is that we weren't actually as good as we thought we were up here. It kind of affected our faith in the band. 
There was actually one point at one of our shows where the sound man stopped us mid-song. is like, is, is it over yet? Are you done? Seriously. I'm glad Scott doesn't do that to me when I'm preaching. But, yeah, we, uh, so anyways, this, we kept, I kept thinking, like, no, this is going to be it. Like, we're going to be rock stars. And I kept on, like, thinking that in my head. And one, and I told my mom, like, I don't know if I'm going to go to college right away because I really want to focus on my music. <laughs> and my mom said, no, you're going to college. <laughs> and mom knows best. Mom knows best. I'm glad she put her foot down on that one. Um, but we all naturally want to go all in on something. We all want to go all in. We all want to have unstoppable faith. We all want to believe. If you're a Mariners fan, you want to believe this morning that they're going to pull it off and go to the playoffs. Um, but we want to put our faith in something. It could be a job. It could be a job that you have or you want. Um, a job that you think, once I get this job, I'll be set. Like, I'll have what I need. Um, we could put our unstoppable faith in another person, in a relationship. Um, you might latch on to someone and say, this is the person that will make me happy. And then if, when you're disappointed, instead of like latching on to God, you might latch on to another person. You might look to a boyfriend or a girlfriend for that, um, that kind of faith. Your unstoppable faith could be in something more intellectual. It could be in a podcast you listen to. It could be in a psychologist, a political leader, a thought leader of some kind. You might put your faith all in that bucket, like this person knows the truth. And, uh, but if you're a Christian today, how unstoppable is your faith in Jesus? We can put our faith in a lot of different things. But how unstoppable is your faith in Jesus? Is your faith resilient, or does it feel weak at times? Do you get discouraged when things don't go your way? Do you, do you tense up when you feel like you should share your faith? Are you afraid of what others might think? I'm someone, in my journey of faith, I struggled with a lot of years of doubt. Like, doubting that God was even real. Um, I grew up in the church, and I always struggled to make a, the connection between what I was hearing and what reality was. I thought, man, maybe I'm being misguided, and it was a long road of God being faithful to me and God showing up that, that made me believe from my heart, made me believe and, and continue in the path that, that God had for me. But we all experience doubt. And I want to share this verse that, that I've shared before. But it's so important for us as we look at the faith of Paul and Barnabas. James 1.6 says, The one who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and unstable in all they do. So doubt leaves us double-minded. It leaves us unstable. It prevents us from receiving from the Lord. And you know the feeling of being tossed around like you're in the middle of the ocean. And that's where doubt leads us. And what I think Acts 14 has for us is an invitation to come back to the shore. If you're in a place of doubt, if you feel tossed around by the sea, let's look at the faith that God had placed in Paul and Barnabas and come back to the shore. Because today we're going to see a picture of unstoppable faith. 
We're going to see a picture of what God can do when our entire confidence is in him, in the lives of Paul and Barnabas. And so last week, we started out with them going to Cyprus, and after Cyprus, they travel around the region of Galatia, which is in modern-day Turkey, and they go to different cities, and the first city they go to is one called Pisidian Antioch. Uh, Antioch, we already talked about Antioch, but there's several, there's three cities in uh, in this region that are all named Antioch, which isn't super uncommon, right? Like, how many things in our country are named Washington, right? Like, I grew up in Washington County. I live in Washington State. Uh, there's a Washington, D.C. You know, they, like, we have these names. And so Antioch was one of those names. There was a general named uh, Antiochus that went around naming stuff after him. So, um, you know, that's what generals do, right? They just name stuff after, name it and claim it, you know? Um, so while they're there, they, so, so um, Paul and Barnabas, they go to Pisidian Antioch, and while they're there, they speak in synagogues, and, and not just Jews, but many Gentiles come to faith. Many Gentiles come to faith, and, and so you can see how the Spirit worked through them, because what you would probably, how you explain the gospel to a Jew would be very different from how you explain the gospel to a Gentile, but the message connected at a heart level with all the people there. And so this creates a stir, and the Jewish leadership in that town, it says they, they, they raise up trouble against them, and they drive them out. And so Paul and Barnabas' response isn't to push back, but they do this. This is Acts 13.51. It says, But they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. I want you to notice the sequence of events. Paul and Barnabas leave, and then the Holy Spirit gets to work, right? Paul and Barnabas leave, and then all the disciples are filled with joy and the Holy Spirit. So Paul and Barnabas plant these seeds that the Holy Spirit uh, grows in the church, what would become the church in Antioch. And he continues the work in that city. And I don't want us to miss that, because I want you to know that the Holy Spirit is completely capable of working without us on people. We place the burden so much in here. When we want someone to believe, when we want someone to change, we place the burden all here. And we forget that the Holy Spirit is our helper. We forget that the Holy Spirit is at work in people's hearts. And that actually, without the Holy Spirit, we can't do anything. That's what it says in John 15, 5. Jesus says, apart from me, you can do nothing. So if we want to change others' lives, we have to be changed by the Holy Spirit, and we have to be in sync with what he's doing. If God is going to use us, he has to use us in conjunction with the Holy Spirit. And that's what we see here with, with Paul and Barnabas. They leave, and the Holy Spirit uh, takes over and grows the church. So, from Pisidian Antioch, they go to a city called Iconium. A lot of fun names today. I just want you to know, a lot of fun names. Um, and now, at a, and, and this is what it says in uh, Acts 14, 1 through 3. This is what it says. It says, Now at Iconium they entered together into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, 
who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So you see a lot of similarities between what happens in Antioch and what happens in this new city. They start out at the synagogue. They preach in such a way that they win both Jews and Gentiles. So like God is at work. God speaks to every heart. And so that's what you see in Iconium as well. Um, and again, the Jewish leaders in the town don't like it, and they're starting to gain some notoriety in the community. Uh, so they poison the minds of, um, of the Jews. They poison their minds. Basically, they, they convince them that um, these guys are frauds. And so um, they try to stop this movement before it gets any, any traction. They oppose them. But in spite of all of this, what it says is that Paul and Barnabas stay there for a long time. So they say, okay, you want, you want to fight? Bring it on. Like, okay. You know, they're not deterred. They're not going to stand down. They're not going to be intimidated. They're going to push through it. And it's not for their own pride. It's because they care about these people whose minds have been poisoned. It's like, okay, like we're going we're gonna to push through this. We're going to push through this. And and so what do they do? It says they perform signs and wonders. They perform miracles through the Holy Spirit. They speak boldly. They speak boldly. They're confident that the Holy Spirit can overcome whatever is going on in the minds of these people. So this angers the leaders even more, and they make a plot to stone Paul and Barnabas. And so fortunately, Paul and Barnabas hear about this, and they escape to the next town, which is called Lystra. And in Lystra, Paul and Barnabas start out the gate with a healing. They heal a man who's been crippled from birth, who's never walked before, and he starts walking. And the town flips out. You would think the town would flip out. But the town flips out. And you would think that this is like, oh, this is like a come-to-Jesus moment for the whole town. Like, this is, they're just going to, like, receive whatever they say. But instead, it just confuses the whole town. And, and they, they think that Paul and Barnabas are Greek gods, and they want to offer sacrifices and worship them. And Paul and Barnabas tear their clothes, and they rush into the crowd, and they try to get it to stop. And so you would think after a powerful God moment, it's like God's just going to open the doors. No, it's just all confusing, all a mess. And uh, this is what happens in verse 18. It says, even with these words, they had difficult keeping the crowd from sacrificing to them. Then some Jews came from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowd over. They stoned Paul and dragged him outside the city, thinking he was dead. But after the disciples had gathered around him, he got up and went back into the city. The next day, he and Barnabas left for Derby. I feel like that's too short to describe what happened here. Yeah! You know, um, they stirred up a crowd, they stoned me, they dragged me out, left me for dead, and I got up and went back into the city. Like, that's, that, that's pretty quick, you know, I'd, I'd like more detail there. Um, but it's, you see, like, God is just moving, and he does this powerful miracle, but, but the result of that isn't just everyone comes to Jesus right away, it's confusion, it's getting pummeled with rocks, it's getting, getting dragged outside the city and left for dead. And then standing back up and going back into that city. All right, that's just, like, that's a crazy passage. Um, and to think of what Paul went through as a, he's still human, guys, you know? He's still human. He, um, 
you know, each city Paul and Barnabas goes to, it seems like two things happen. The first thing that happens is they experience some kind of spiritual success. Like, they follow God's call, and no matter where they go, there's some kind of spiritual success. Even in Lystra, we'll talk about that in a bit. Um, but then they also experience trouble everywhere they go. It's like following Jesus' call in their life, they experience both success and trouble. They experience power, and they experience resistance. And these are guys who are being entirely faithful to God. You know, like, they're, they're following God. They've given everything to him. And it's not just like blessing, blessing, blessing. It's also getting stoned and, and being left outside the city uh, if, for dead, right? And so you see success and trouble. But you also see unstoppable faith. I, I don't think there's any more powerful image than Paul getting up after he's been pummeled with rocks and walking back into that city, right? And it's actually after he walks back, they spend a day there, and, and it says many people come to know the Lord, um, which we'll see here in Acts 14, 21. It says, they preached the gospel in that city and won a large number of disciples. Then they returned to Lystra, Iconium, and Antioch, strengthening the disciples and encouraging them to remain true to the faith. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, they said. So that's what they recognize. We have to go through these hardships. It's a part of the journey. We have to accept it. And they revisit all these cities, and they strengthen all the people. They encourage them to keep going, but their message is expect hardship. Expect difficult things to happen. Expect opposition. Expect not everyone to get your message right away. The Holy Spirit's completely in it, but there's still going to be resistance. There's still going to be a fight. Even when you're 100% faithful to God, we have to expect hardship in our lives. It doesn't mean you're not being faithful, right? Sometimes when hardship comes into our lives, you can think, what have I done? How do I get right with God so the hardship will go away? Well, that's not, that's not part of the equation. That's not part of the equation. This is what we learn from this story is having an unstoppable faith means accepting both the success and the trouble. It, it's, it's both. It's success and and trouble. It's, it's God moving through you to do amazing things, and, and then it's also accepting the trouble <laughs> of the, the hard road of following Christ. The hard road of following Christ. Because if you're faithful to what God has called you to do, you're guaranteed to be successful in it. Like, if you're being faithful, like, you're guaranteed, maybe not the success that you plan, but certainly the success that God has for you, if you're being faithful to Him. But also, at the same time, there's no point in our Christian lives where we, we graduate from trouble, where we, where we go above trouble. Not on this side of heaven. There's no point where, we, um, where we're, we're done with it. In fact, in taking the Christian life, God asks us to sacrifice more and more as we go along. And you see, even in the, in the apostles, the ones who are the most faithful to Christ, um, they also sacrifice the most. They were the most persecuted. Many were executed. But they did have this unstoppable faith. Even in the face of death, they didn't stop. They didn't stop because they believed that Jesus was even bigger than death. Paul looks back on this time in his life in his letter to Timothy, the second, uh, in 2 Timothy, and he evaluates 
the trouble that he experienced on this journey in particular, he writes this in 2 Timothy 3. He says, You, however, know all about my teaching, my way of life, my purpose, faith, patience, love, endurance, persecutions, sufferings. And then look what he notes. What kinds of things happened to me in Antioch, Iconium, and Lystra? The persecutions I endured. Yet the Lord rescued me from all of them. And then he adds this. In fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted, while evildoers and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. So here, Paul is at the end of his life, and he's recounting, like, all the trauma that he's experienced, all the suffering he's experienced. He still remembers these. He counts them as his, his suffering and persecution. He carries the scars. Paul was faithful, but his life was anything but easy, right? It, it was anything but easy. It was anything but smooth. It demanded everything of him, blood, sweat, and tears, and eventually his life is what the road demanded of him. And sometimes the harder you run after Christ, the more hardship you experience. And that's what we see in Paul. Not everybody is going to like the journey that you're on. Not everybody is going to like you because not everybody likes Jesus. And so the question that we have to answer, which Paul had to answer, is, is this. Is Jesus worth the trouble? Is Jesus worth the trouble? Because the only way that the trouble makes sense is if Jesus is worthy of it. Is if, is if Jesus is worthy of our suffering, if Jesus is worthy of our trouble, if Jesus is worthy of our sacrifice of what might be considered a normal life, if our life looks a little different, is Jesus worthy of that sacrifice? And to Paul, Jesus was absolutely worthy. And you can look at his life and see that. Jesus was worthy of every hit that he took. And that's why he writes, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. And we, we know that we can be, um, you know, this persecution might not, even, might not just be uh, from, from other people. It could be spiritual. And I think talking about persecution in the United States is a little complicated, right? Because it might not be as obvious as places like Afghanistan and Nigeria where Christians fear for their lives, where Christians gather on Sunday and, and fear for their lives. But... With the freedom that we do have, what are we doing with it, right? That's the burden that we have. What are we doing with the, the, the opportunity that God's given us, the freedom that God's given us? Are we making Jesus known to the, the people in our lives? Can they see Jesus through us? Or are we just trying to fit in, right? Are we just trying to fit in? Are we double-minded like James talked about? Like we're, we're, we're all in one place and then we're all in another place. And one of the dangerous, most dangerous temptations that we have as Christians today is compromise, is compromising what we believe so that it can fit with, with, with where the rest of the world is headed, right? With where the rest of the, wor rest of the world is going. There's a lot of cultural pressure to, to believe certain things, right? To believe um, and, and affirm, like, we have a culture that that is changing what it means, what, what gender means, what, what marriage means, what sexuality means. 
and, and, and are we we going with that, or are we staying in God's word? Are we bending to culture? Are we staying faithful to God's word? Um, If you're at work, you're at school, you might feel pressure to compromise. You might might drink more in in one situation than you should. You might feel pressure to affirm someone else's uh, selfish decisions, or greed, or whatever it could be. The last thing your friends might want you to do is to challenge the way they live or bring God into it, right? Uh, don't bring God into it, right? They, they don't want you to do that. And so we live on a, one day on the planet can feel like a barrage of opportunities to compromise, to compromise what we believe, to compromise our faith, just so that we can be okay with everyone. But unstoppable faith doesn't compromise. It doesn't mean that we're reckless. Like, I spend a lot of time thinking about how to say something, right? Like, I want to say things in love. I want to be sensitive to where people are at. I'm always thinking about how and when to address problems. But sometimes, and maybe you felt this too, you get the don't ask me about my life uh, (laughs) feel from someone, the vibe, right? Don't ask me about my life. And that's a burden that we carry around as Christ's followers that there will always be some people that keep us at arm's length. And if we listen to Paul, if we see what he writes, like, that's okay. We should expect it. So I want to get back to our question. What would it look like if we had unstoppable faith? How do we get to that point? Because I assume you're sitting in this room this morning because you want that. Because you want unstoppable faith. Because you want to be stronger. Because you want to enter the kingdom of God. Like Paul said. And we can read a passage like this, and we can feel really discouraged, right? Because we're, we're seeing these, these great examples of faith, and we look at our lives, and there's this disparity. Like, how could I ever think to live life this way? I'm glad I don't have, like, a bunch of angry mobs in my life. You know, that's good. Um, but we can read a passage like this and feel really discouraged and think, man, that'll, that'll never be me. Or maybe your story is like mine, and you wrestle with doubt. You wrestle with doubt. Is God real? Is, is this Jesus thing real? And, and a lot of that might come from a place of church hurt, where what you've heard in church, you don't see lived out, right? What you've heard in church, you haven't seen lived out. I have a friend who loves the Jesus of the Bible, but he grew up in a very strict Catholic school, and it kind of turned him off. To the whole Jesus thing. And often it's that kind of disconnect that can cause us to doubt our faith, to, to live in the sea, to wonder if it's all true. And it might be because we've never seen that unstoppable faith before. Maybe we've seen a weaker version of it, a, a, a version with, with less sacrifice, with less authenticity, with less passion, less Jesus. And often we see a religious faith instead of an unstoppable one. And my heart would be that we wouldn't be a church with a religious spirit or a religious faith, but that God would give us an unstoppable faith. God would give us surety. God would give us passion uh, for him and for our neighbors and for our families. And and, And that's why, like, we want people to be connected more than just on Sundays because we want to walk with you in that. But what does it take for us to get to that point? Well, first, we have to accept what Paul accepts, trouble. We have to accept 
trouble. We must go through many hardships to enter the kingdom of God, Paul says. Um, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Like, those are hard, challenging words. And so, as we experience success in our lives, and as God works through us, we'll also experience trouble. But let's come back to that question. Is Jesus worth it? Is Jesus worth the trouble that we might face in life? Because I believe we have to be convinced that he is. Or otherwise, why go through it? Why go through it? If we're not tasting and seeing that God is good, why go through it? The people definitely saw the goodness of God through Paul and Barnabas. They saw the crippled man walk. They experienced the joy of the Holy Spirit and new life, and they responded to the message of Jesus. And the whole region was flipped upside down through the faith of these two men. But it didn't come without cost. It didn't come without pain. It didn't come without rejection. But Jesus was worth it. Years later, Paul writes this to the church in Philippi. He says, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I might gain Christ and be found in him. Paul was willing to count it all as loss for Christ's sake. His, his whole life, it, all he wanted to do was know Jesus. That's all he wanted, whatever it cost him. And what we see in Acts is Paul put his money where his mouth was. He did it. He, he spent his life um, on Christ. But here's the deal. We might never experience what Paul and Barnabas experienced. We might never experience the level of persecution that they experienced. We might not turn the world upside down. We also might not ever have an angry mob chase us or, or stone us, hopefully, you know. Um, but what does, that, what does it mean to have unstoppable faith in your life right now, in your job, in your family, in your community, in your neighborhood? What I want to do is I want to offer you as we close a, a picture of another person with unstoppable faith in church history. An obscure man who, uh, who doesn't get a lot of press, um, but his name was Brother Lawrence. And uh, Brother Lawrence was a 17th century French monk. Uh, he, he, he got saved at age 18. He was in the French army. He was wounded uh, severely, and uh, the whole rest of his life he walked with a really severe limp. Very limited in, in the way that he was able to move around. Uh, he left the army because of his injury. And uh, he got the only job he could, which was as a, as a footman to a rich French nobleman. So he basically opened doors uh, for rich people, is what he did, was his life. But he wasn't even good at that. He, he ended up quitting and joining a monastery. Um, he said he, and, and that was a quote from him, he said he wasn't that good of a footman anyway. So he goes to this monastery, and you would think that, okay, this is the point where where everything just takes off for him and he finds like his greatness or his calling. He actually spends the rest of his life 40 years washing dishes and making sandals. And then he dies at age 80. And you're wondering, why are we talking about this guy right now? It's not about what he did, it's about how he did it. It's about how 
he did it. Because Brother Lawrence lived with unstoppable faith. He lived to know Jesus more than anything. He, all of his writings and letters of his life were discovered later, and it, they've been encouraging the church for the last four centuries. And they were compiled in a book called Practicing the Presence of God. And I just want to share a couple quotes from this book. He wrote, I decided to sacrifice my life with all its pleasures to God, but he greatly disappointed me in this idea, for I have met, uh, I have met with nothing but satisfaction in giving my life over to him. So Brother Frank is a picture of extreme contentment, right? Ex it, like all he wants is Jesus, even as he's washing dishes, even as he's making sandals. He also wrote this. He said, we ought not to be weary of doing little things for the love of God, who regards not the greatness of the work, but the love with which it is performed. I think that's beautiful. It's not about how great your work is or how great your influence is. All that matters is the love with which you do it. That's so 1 Corinthians 13, right? You can do everything, but if you have not love, you gain nothing, right? It's not about the greatness of the work. It's all about the heart behind it, how you do it. It's, it's not about your talent. It's about your heart. And so I don't know what God's called you to do today. I don't know who God has called you to. I don't know what the next step that you're wrestling in your head with is, uh, is happening right now. Um, but I do want you to have that picture that Jesus is worthy of your life. Whether he calls you to be a dishwasher or a sandal maker, or whether he calls you to go turn the world upside down, Jesus is worthy. And my prayer is that you would discover that, that you would taste and see that he is good, so that you could have an unstoppable faith that goes all in. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for the challenge of this passage. I thank you that... Uh, God, we have a picture of unstoppable faith in, in the lives of Paul and Barnabas and others in the early church. And even throughout church history, the last 2,000 years, we've seen men and women, God, just give their lives completely over to you. And like you said in Hebrews 12, like we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses, many people who've gone before, who've, who've had unstoppable faith. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would place that same faith in us, that you would empower us with the same faith. God, that you would, you would meet us in our places of doubt, meet us in our places of despair, and, and, and help us to see that you are good. Help us to experience you, God, intimately. Lord, we don't want to just know about you, we want to know you. And Lord, I pray that you would, you would allow us uh, to experience that. In Jesus' name.